Hey there, I'm Sarita, and you're about to experience the modern approach to well-being where you get to establish the best and most important relationship you will ever have, the one with yourself. I'm on a mission to help you declutter energy and reclaim your power so you can be a magnet to what you desire. If you're looking for the optimal blend of mindset and healing, you're in the right place. My goal in this podcast is to share tools, resources, and practices that will help you along your healing journey. I'm so excited to be here with you today. So welcome to Back to Here with Sarita. Let's get started. Hey you, I'm so glad that you are here again for another episode with me, your host, Sarita. We have a wonderful self-embrace story today, and I absolutely love these episodes because I get to connect with some amazing women and hear their journeys of self-love and healing. So today's guest, I have Leah Forney. She's a seven-time published author, sexual assault survivor and advocate, transformational speaker, and purpose-driven architect. She works with aspiring women entrepreneurs to help them identify the barriers that have them stuck instead of walking in their God-given purpose. She's also the CEO of Purposely Faithful LLC. Welcome, Leah. I'm so excited to have you here and talk with you and connect with you and hear your story. I'm so excited to be here. Amazing. And before we started the the episode, we're just kind of talking about where we're located. Leah's in the East Coast. I'm in the West Coast. Um, It's still kind of, if you're watching this on video, you can kind of see the difference. There's kind of more of a bright light where I'm at because it's still a little bit earlier. (laughs) So, yes. Uh, So loving that. And Leah, so I would love what you have such a amazing background and Mm -hmm. eclectic background I should say and I emphasize that seven times published author that is phenomenal that is so Mm -hmm. cool before we get into like all the things tell me a little bit about that I'm sure everyone's like wow seven seven times talk about that I want to hear yeah so it's funny and when you were reading I was like oh man I forgot to update and so I'm eight times now because I released my eighth book in September of this year um man the journey to becoming an author actually was started back in well I will say it started in childhood so I'll take you all the way back, Sarita. So childhood, I grew up without my parents. My mom battled with drug addiction. My dad was an alcoholic and in and out of prison. So I was raised by my maternal grandparents and my aunt. And so as a young kid, you can like imagine the feelings around abandonment and rejection and kind of feeling like, well, why didn't my parents want me? You know, I grew up in Queens, New York, where a lot of my friends had two parent households. You know, they were going home to mom and dad every day and I was going home to grandma, grandpa and auntie. So I kind of felt left out. I felt like a sore thumb, (laughs) you know, like I was just way different. And so because I didn't really know what to do with my emotions at the time, I found myself in a lot of physical altercations, um, arguing, screaming, fighting. And my grandmother's biggest fear was I was either going to end up dead really early or like my dad incarcerated. And so I took to writing as a way of escape. 
I do not think that at the time I was thinking, oh, one day I'm going to be an author. In fact, I know I wasn't thinking that. Mm -hmm. I just needed a way to like process how I was feeling as a young kid. And so writing was my way of just like creating this fantasy world so that when people did ask about my parents, I had an elaborate story. Like my dad was a top secret agent in the CIA, you know, like something other than my dad was incarcerated and I don't really have a relationship with him. And so writing was the way of escape. And so fast forward, I would say like 2014, 2015, um, I'm a very spiritual person. I believe in God. And in my prayer time, God had revealed to me that I needed to write a book. And I was like, who's writing a book? <laughs> and what are we writing a book about? <laughs> like, you okay. know, it was one of those, like, moments in time where I'm just like, you're kidding, right? And, but he, he kept saying it. Like, it was one of those, like, he would not stop saying, you need to write a book. So then finally, I was like, okay, God, if I'm supposed to write this book, what am I writing a book about? <laughs> and so he was just like, your life. And I'm like, yeah, you're going to have to give me a little bit more than that, sir. <laughs> more specific. Like, <laughs> like, and specifically, he wanted me to write about my relationship with my mom. And so at that time, I was living in the state of North Carolina. And one of my really close friends and editor to this day, um, she was a Christian author. And she was like, well, I'll help you through the book writing process. So I wrote my first manuscript, and it was like probably as real and raw as I could possibly be. And I remember her sitting me down, and she was like, Leah, you're a storyteller. And I'm like, who's this? <laughs> like, who? And she's like, no, seriously. Like, she was like, the way you paint pictures with your words. Like, has anybody ever told you that? And I was like, no. Mm. And so we go through the process of the writing process and getting it edited, and it was funny because I, I named my first book Unapologetically Me. And Love it was the, the first time I was really living, owning, and walking in my truth. That's literally the whole title. And I was like, okay. So she says to me, she's like, well, we should put a picture of you on the cover. So again, not knowing nothing about the book writing process, Rita, I started sending her like my best selfies in my phone. It was so funny. And she's like... No, you need like professional <laughs> photos. Professional. And I was like, oh, like a like a photo shoot. And she's like, mm -hmm. yeah, I'm like, I didn't know these things. So we do the photo shoot. We pick the picture for the cover. And I tell you, I learned that when we tell our stories, we think it's for us, but really it's for other people. And so yes. that that book came out April 1st, 2017. And I always tell people when you're doing anything for God, it's never one and done. It's always something else. So he started with one. I was cool with one. I was like, ah, bucket list, author, check. <laughs> you know, but there was more that was on the inside of me. And so I released four of them during the pandemic. And my eighth one, which is now titled Born to be Unbound, is literally the first book that I've written from a place of healing. So people get a real deep inside look of what my healing journey was like for the last four years. Oh my gosh, that's so amazing. Obviously, the higher powers of that bee had a bigger plan for you than just that one book. Yeah. That is amazing. And how I love something that you brought up, and this is something that I believe more people are discovering, the power of pen to paper. Mm -hmm. 
having that somatic practice of writing things out, journaling things out. Yeah. Regardless of who's going to see it, it would be amazing if other people see it because as you say, we do things for ourselves and we realize that it's actually so much bigger than us. Like that's Mm -hmm. the beauty of just being human in this existence and like in the spiritual space is like that we have so much more to offer than just like this thing for ourselves. Like it's, we are a gift to everybody and the power of pen to paper, just that process of releasing is so transformative and so empowering. And it's just, I like that you said processing like emotions because it's such a great way to get all the clutter out of your head into onto a place. And I love how journaling or writing, especially when we're doing it a little bit more on the private side, the pen, the paper is in no judgment. Like there's nothing judging you in that moment. So it's like you can say whatever it is that's on your heart or on your mind. And it's such a great way to just release. Release. Yeah, it's it's very therapeutic. I tell people all the time. I'm actually one of those people that have like 50 million journals. It's so funny because my my boyfriend he'll be like, if you buy another journal, and I'll find any reason to buy a journal. I'm like, oh, it's cute. Let me. <laughs> but I love journals. Like, I I'm one of those people that have like a notebook literally almost everywhere in my house, like by my bed, because you just never know when inspiration will strike creativity will strike or you just have a moment where you're like oh that was good I need to write that down so I'm all for writing how you feel and processing it I fully agree we are constantly downloading things downloading information absorbing information like listening I mean just our brain like our I don't remember the percentage but it's a ridiculous amount like just being exposed per day our brain gets so much that our brain is actually functioning to filter out information because we just get system overload, right? So there's a reason why that this process, yeah, like you said, is very therapeutic and it's a way for us to just like get rid of the the excess and we never know when we're going to get these these spats of uh, great downloads. So yeah, I love it, love it, love it. So Leah, something that you and I actually talked about before when we were first connecting is this um your self love story and a Mm -hmm. lot of it has to do i mean the healing you brought up the healing a little bit within like your last book and part of that process was going through a very traumatic incident that unfortunately is so much more common than i would like to admit and i'm sure our society would like to admit Mm-hmm. And being a sexual assault survivor is that pain has been turned into like empowerment for you yeah. and it's become this like really big self-love journey. Not only through just the experience and what you went through, but also like being an advocate for that. I know this is a very deep topic, um, mm-hmm. a very like um, it can be a very uncomfortable topic for some people, but I love that you are in the space and talking about this openly because it allows other women to you know to and men to have these discussions so if you can share a little bit about that i would love our audience and people listening to hear that part of your story yeah so i i will start by saying i've been sexually assaulted three times in my life 
the first two times I was a teenager and like many young girls and even young men, like the shock of it all, you, you just don't know what to do. You don't know who to talk to. You don't say anything, um, especially for a lot of women of color, people of color, like we're automatically the first thing that comes in our mind is who's going to believe us, right? Because society has said that, oh, if you wear your your skirt too short or you hang out at the bar or you go here or go there, you were asking for it, right? So mm-hmm. as a young girl being violated the first two times, um, I didn't tell a soul. I kept it to myself um, and just tried to go go on with life. And I did, you know, went to college, grad school, all that good stuff. What made me report on the third time was I got sexually assaulted January 27, 2013, right in my apartment in the state of North Carolina. I was new to the state. Um, I met a guy. He seemed very, you know, charming and nice. And he offered to take me to dinner. We had one date. But it was something about him that just, I was like, mm-mm, something's rough. I don't, I don't really like him. So I cut it off. Like, I, I just decided that he wasn't the guy that I wanted to get to know. Unfortunately, he didn't care for the rejection. So unbeknownst to me, he started stalking me. And so it was almost like literally everywhere that I went, he'd show up. Um, and, and really in the most weirdest times, like I can remember like getting into a little car accident and literally coming around the corner was the guy. And I'm like, how would you know I was here getting into a car accident? And so on January 27, 2013, I happened to be home in my apartment um, waiting for a friend to come by and pick me up because we were going to go to church. And I got a phone call that a loved one had passed. So January 27 was literally three days before my birthday. I'm born January 30th. And so I get the phone call. I'm distraught. And as soon as I hang up with my family member about the loved one, he calls. And he can hear that I'm distraught and I'm upset. And he offers to come console me that's what the word that he used to come over Mm -hmm. and you know in the moment it was one of those against my better judgment but I was like fine so little did I know he was already out my outside my apartment and so he comes over and what was supposed to be a moment of consoling turned into him basically arguing with me about me rejecting him And how he didn't like that I rejected him. And that he was really offended because he knows he's a great guy. And so it got really uncomfortable real quick. And I remember being like, ah, yeah, I think it's time for you to go. (laughs) Like, my gut was telling me something was going to happen. I just didn't know what that something Mm. was. And so I kept asking him to leave. And when it looked like he was actually going to leave, that's when he proceeded to grab me. And this and raped me right in my living room. And what felt like an eternity probably was a few minutes. And I could remember him literally saying to me that he was going to make it so that nobody would ever want me. Like he was going to damage me. So after he rapes me, he leaves. And I remember my very first thing I did. And I know now that was probably something I shouldn't have did. But I got in the shower. Because all I wanted in the moment was his scent and his touch and everything about him to come off of me. So I got in the shower and I'm just scrubbing and I'm scrubbing. And by the time 
all of this has happened. My friend had just got to my house. And she's like, what in the world happened? And so I proceed to tell her, you know, what happened. And she's like, Leah, you got to call the cops. And again, being a woman of color, I'm sitting here like, who's going to believe that I let somebody in my house and they raped me? So I end up going to church and I end up telling my spiritual mom, um, who actually was already doing advocacy work. So she actually inspired the advocate in me years ago, but she was already doing advocacy work in sexual assault. And she hugged me and she said, I want you to know it's not your fault. This is not your fault. And so it took a couple of days, but I did call and I did make the report. And I will tell you, Sarita, I had the worst experience with the justice system. <laughs> Not only did I deal with a male officer who literally asked me five times, was I sure that I was raped? As if I didn't know that. (laughs) And then I went as far as picking him out of the lineup, doing the rape kit, you know, and that by itself is just a violation all over again. You know, um, reliving some of the trauma, <laughs> right? Having to relive and answer the question over and over again. And then we had our first day in court where we were just supposed to be getting a um, restraining order, order of protection. And literally, I had a white male judge, I'll never forget it, who literally stood at, on his bench and told me that I was a woman scorned and that he did not believe that I had been raped. And he proceeded to get up off the bench and go in his chambers, like, case closed. (laughs) Like, and I watched as my perpetrator walked out. And I had a breakdown. And I still, to this day, I remember the white male sheriff that literally told me to get it together or he was going to lock me up. Like, imagine that for a moment. You're hurting because you're watching someone you know violated you walk out scot-free and the sheriff tells you he's gonna lock you up if you don't get it together so that day i had to make a choice i had to decide was i going to allow this moment to define me or was i going to define it and so that that moment was the catalyst to start healing and to go through my self-love journey and i would love to sit here and say that it ended on that day but unfortunately June of last year is when I found out that they just tested my rape kit and that Mm. it took them eight years to decide whether or not I was worthy of justice. And so that moment, getting that call June 2021, I literally remember praying and I was like, God, if I got to relive this part of my journey about my life again, how do I make this bigger than me? And that's when he was like, you need to get into advocacy. And so that's what I did because I knew if it took eight years for someone to test the rape kit to bring me closure for something that I knew happened, then I could only imagine how many other people were waiting. Mm. Just take a moment. I want you know people listening and for myself, just to kind of let that all sink in for a second. Thank you so much, Leah, for sharing that. And eight years mm-hmm. was just mind-blowing awful to me. I can't even imagine. And I really love the question you asked yourself. I mean, 
number one, horrific things happen to so many people out there and it's so unjust and unfair. And I love the question you asked yourself. Am I letting this incident define me or am I going to define it, right? It's taking back your power, reclaiming that part. That incident, as horrific as it was and unjust as it was, didn't take everything from you. Mm -hmm. Like that person, no matter what ever happens, no person has any full ability to take everything from you yeah and i i love that question you asked yourself and that being your defining moment that helped you decide like i want to heal from this and utilizing your healing to bring it out and to others and helping others with their journey as well because after talking with you for the first time, I had no idea that some people have to wait that long, if not longer, for something like this to get processed. And that is so backwards to me, so backwards. Yeah. So we need people like you doing this type of work. Mm-hmm. There's something I did want to ask you that was coming up mm-hmm. for me is that because this is a, you know a little bit more of a sensitive topic and something that I think definitely more people need to like hear about and have these discussions one of the things i love doing in this in this show is like obviously about self-embrace and Mm self-compassion you leah at this present day now kind of reflecting back at you know leah back then what words of like self-compassion or love like would you give to that kind of that old identity Mm. that that Leah that went through that like really horrific because there may be people like in this moment that have had something significantly difficult happen and they just need to have this moment of self-compassion yeah I think when I think back on that moment the biggest thing for me was just daily reminding myself that it wasn't my fault Um, that I didn't do anything, that I didn't cause this. Because for a while, I felt guilty. I felt like, you know, what if I didn't let him in the house? You know, what if I didn't answer the call? Like, would this have happened? Right? And so instead of beating myself up, I had to daily remind myself that I didn't do anything wrong. You know, and that was hard at first because when you think of the circumstances and you think of, you know, well, how else would he have gotten in the house unless you let the door, you know, it's hard to justify. But I think for me, what helped me in that moment was definitely making sure that I started my healing journey instantly, that I didn't wait months or years or whatever to start it. Like the the great thing that came out of that moment was that because I went to the hospital, because I did the rape kit, I was immediately connected to the local rape crisis center. So I immediately had the resources. I had, you know, I was leaving out of the hospital with a date to show up at the rape crisis center to start counseling, which was free for me, you know. So I think if I would have waited, that probably would, I probably wouldn't have been able to embrace that part that it wasn't my fault. And so that is probably the biggest thing that I would say I had to tell myself for a very long time that you did not cause this, that 
Um, you know, it, it was a part of your divine assignment. Like you wouldn't be able to do what you do now, you know, had you not accepted the fact that, you know what, God in his infinite wisdom allowed what he allowed and it created and it sparked the advocate and the activist in me and the person that continues to fight for others. Love that. That is so taking something like that and turning it into something so beautiful. And I absolutely love the aspect of it about not holding yourself with so much judgment and that it's not your fault and and really going through that process it sounds like and I I do want to ask you kind of what that looked like but forgiving yourself right Mm -hmm. because we tend to take on so much like guilt is something and I I know this from my personal life because I realized that I hold a lot of guilt for a lot of things and a lot of times that guilt comes from a place of like people pleasing not wanting things to like rock the boat or you know whatever it may be but I acknowledge that like guilt has been a primary emotion that has been within my container for a long time like in my body and everything so learning to release that guilt and forgive yourself what did that process part look like like actually forgiving yourself because it's one of the hardest things to do Mm -hmm. I have to say right we we hold we hold so much against ourselves yeah forgiveness was so rough it was i'll tell you the 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 hardest thing outside of forgiving myself that i struggled with for a long time was even learning to want to look attractive again like for a very long time i would go to my therapy sessions in sweatpants and and a sweatshirt like anything to not look appealing to the opposite sex (laughs) and I struggled with it and my therapist she was so great because she would like challenge me to just do little things to regain who I was again you know like go get your nails done go get your feet done you know get your hair done because like for me it was just if I what I was telling myself was if I didn't look good (laughs) right or look attractive this wouldn't have happened Right. And so really what forgiveness, how I got into the habit of self-forgiveness for myself was really just being honest about the guilt, about the shame, about feeling like I caused this and then being vulnerable enough to process it, you know, in therapy and share with my therapist that I really beat myself up about this. Um, it was a journey though. It was not, it definitely was not something that happened overnight. I can say nine years later, I've forgiven myself and I've even forgiven him, you know, but the journey to doing that was literally every single day, every day of just when those emotions come up, when them triggers come up, just being self-aware and mindful that you know you can control this you know you can control your thoughts you can control how you feel like and really one thing that helped me the most was really in in thinking about thoughts and feelings was just asking myself like where's the evidence to back this up 
Like, okay. where is, where is, like, because, you know, one thing that my therapist used to always say is feelings are not right or wrong. They just are, right? Like, okay. like they are what they are. But sometimes in our feelings, we go into this downward spiral because we're so busy trying to make it, like, fact. And I had to learn, like, when I'm feeling guilty or feeling shame, like, where's the evidence? Like, what are some factual things that you've done that warrants these feelings? And when I couldn't come up with the evidence, it was like, okay, so feel it. Acknowledge that that's what you feel. But then let's figure out a coping mechanism or a strategy to begin to move on. Mm. Oh, oof, that's so powerful. Yes. Just within that little bit you're talking about so much that I, I love every part of it, the forgiveness aspect. And yes, I did want to mention, you know, forgiving the, the person that actually did the, you know, did that to you as well. Before we talk about emotions, because I absolutely love what you said about emotions, not giving them like so much um, logical yeah. part right before that just going back into forgiveness because I want to touch on this briefly I got forgiveness explained to me in such a wonderful way that forgiveness is when we are holding a grudge or we're holding this energy against somebody we're mm-hmm. in fact actually holding it in our energetic field in ourselves it's almost like we are intentionally wanting to p- drink the poison without you know without knowing basically so we've created this poison that we want the other person to feel and to to experience yet we are the ones holding that Mm -hmm. and so it really does like that i think that's part of the reason why i brought forgiveness up as like a self-forgiveness because in reality it's not as much about the other person as it is about ourselves right so really releasing that and I love the the things that you were doing acknowledging that every single day and it's it's forgiveness is something that doesn't it doesn't happen overnight right like Mm -hmm. it is a process that takes time for us to release because it's one incident yes can make all the difference yet a traumatic incident can also lay a triple I mean a, a ripple effect for for us just like throwing a a pebble at one end of the lake we're gonna feel it on the other we're gonna see it on the other side and I love what you said about emotions because Mm -hmm. I'm hoping children are being taught actually I know that children are being taught a lot better around emotions and feelings and things like this but I know for people of our demographic people that are um, you know not children in this age yeah have been taught that emotions are like either good or bad you're either happy or you're sad right like it's there's like a black and white like there's no gray area when in reality just like a rainbow there's a spectrum of different emotions and we get taught that not to feel a certain way or we should feel a certain way and then Mm -hmm. when we're feeling a certain way it's kind of like oh what do I do in those moments and because we've been taught to not process our emotions Mm -hmm. but identify our emotions and and um, logically think our way out of them instead of feeling it and 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 just riding that wave right i think that's so important yeah i i wasn't always good with emotions like i was probably the person that kept them bottled up but now because of my healing journey like i'm if I'm 
if I want to cry, I'm going to cry. If I, you know, want to yell, I'm going to yell. You know, the thing that I've learned about emotions is just not getting stuck in them. Like, feel it, you know. And then because I'm a business owner, like, one of the things I've always practiced is not bringing that energy into my business. So, like, if I'm having a crappy day, I'm just going to have a crappy day. Like, we're just not going to do anything business related. We're just going to feel what we feel because... I think what we're learning and we're seeing in society today is that more people are being okay with saying, I'm not okay. And knowing that's okay. Like, you don't have to be happy 24-7. Like, it just doesn't happen that way. Yeah. Yeah, it's very unrealistic. There is such thing as, like, the positive, you know, the positive toxic, or the toxic positivity, right? Mm -hmm. Because we... Even I've noticed that I've had some friends have said to me, like, just be happy. It's okay. Just be happy. And it's all good intentions, right? But it's bypassing, basically bypassing my emotional state at that moment. Really allowing myself to, like, feel that Mm -hmm. and embrace it. And you're so right. It's a fine dance that we can as guides healers you know people that are in these spaces that are are assisting people can give guidance in that aspect but yet it's yourself that gets the opportunity to figure out what that looks like for you like the dance of okay now i'm okay to move on to the next like allowing yourself to feel that emotion but again not getting like stuck in that energy long term because that's when that's when things kind of unravel a little bit so for sure yeah amazing and so with that I want to talk just a little bit about what you do you know within Mm -hmm. as a business owner because I'm always interested in that and I know people I find it so fascinating that people can be involved and interested and driven and living a purpose like what you were saying like a purposely driven life Mm -hmm. and it doesn't need to look like just one thing that you do right so you being a an advocate for sexual assault survivors being an author Mm -hmm. you have like those are some you know your your significant other like there's so many different beautiful aspects of your life like I would love to hear just a little bit more about like your your business and your entrepreneurial endeavors and and how that all like ties together like I think that's (laughs) really cool that it's so amazing how so many facets can Mm -hmm. come together so beautifully in one person yeah so it's funny because I don't I don't know if I've ever thought that I wanted to be an entrepreneur like I think I always knew that I didn't work want to work for people for the rest of my life like I did know that I don't think I knew what that meant until probably during the pandemic where I really spent a lot of time discovering me and realized like I I love writing books I like creating courses like being multifaceted and I think one thing that society doesn't necessarily do the greatest at when it comes to 
new business owners and entrepreneurs is is encouraging people to tap into all their passions. Like we hear things like, oh, you got to niche down, you got to niche down, you got to niche down. And it's like, why? Why do I have to? Like, why can't I just be this multifaceted person? And so outside of being an author and an advocate, I definitely do a lot of speaking. I've been blessed to train law enforcement and the attorney's general's office. Um, I've been blessed to be able to speak at different conferences and share my story as a sexual assault survivor and sit at legislation tables and advocate that way. Um, other than that, I just recently threw filmmaker in the hat. <laughs> so, wow. Yeah, so I have an upcoming documentary. It's called The Forgotten Unheard Stories of Black Women and Sexual Assault. Um, and that really came because of my experience and the backlog and really just wanting to talk about sexual assault in communities of color because I feel like we talk about it, but we don't really talk about it when it comes to communities of color, you know? And I always think to like, when Tarana Burke started the Me Too movement, a lot of it was for communities of color, you know? Right. And then other races was like, oh yeah, Me Too. And it was like, ah, can we just have something for ourselves? So. Mm -hmm. It was funny because when I came up with the idea of the documentary, I kind of went back and forth because I was like, oh, man, I really don't want to, like, exclude anybody. And it actually took one of my really close, dear friends. She's now my supervisor because I work with her. But um, she is a Caucasian woman who was like, I literally think you should do it for communities of color because your stories don't get told. And so getting that, like, validation, I was like, all right, cool. This is what we're going to do. So that releases April of 2023. Um, I definitely coach. So I coach in a variety of different spaces. I definitely help um, people who are just doing some life coaching work and needing some guidance on figuring out their purpose and their zone of genius. I also help. I have some courses around the book writing space. So it's funny because when I got into coaching, that's what I did. I was like a writing coach, but it wasn't fulfilling me. It was one of those, like I was doing it because that's what I was good at. But it was like, what is the thing that really, really fulfills me? And so other aspect of my coaching business is I help in the sector of podcasting and so, and visibility. And so I help teach people how to get more visible, um, but then also how to start and build and launch their own podcast. So I do a lot of things. And when I'm not doing any of those things, <laughs> I am a significant other. I'm a bonus mom. I'm a daughter. Aww. Like, you know, I kick it with my friends. You know, I try to do a healthy balance of like life and business. I don't, I try to know when to turn it off after a certain time. Mm -hmm. That's so beautiful. I love that. I'm always so admirational towards people that have their feet in like a lot of different things or hands I should say in a lot of yeah. different things and that light them up right not just like oh I have to do this because I have to make money <laughs> but just because it lights you up that's something I have discovered through getting to know myself better through these through these journey of self-discovery and self-love for me yeah. realizing that I can do a lot of different things and those things can be things that I absolutely love doing and not just because I've been told that I have to do them or whatever. Yeah. So real quick, what would you say to somebody that maybe is in that place where they're just 
maybe questioning themselves and like mm-hmm. getting into new things because of just something I just said where it was like I'm being told that I like society's telling me whatever family whatever voice outside of themselves is telling or the critic voice right is telling mm-hmm. them like eh, like you can't do that um that's not like your thing or that's too much on your plate or whatever it is like what would you say yeah. to somebody being you who's like loves just really loves doing everything that you do yeah yeah there's a few things I would say I think the first thing I would say and this is something I tell even my clients is do it afraid like Fear is going to be there and I've when I one thing I've learned about fear and anxiety is that it is your body's way of letting you know that you need to rely on something higher than yourself to do it. Like Love that. That's my like when I'm feeling anxious or fearful like say for getting on the stage to speak, it's my way of being like, "Okay, God, help me because <laughs> this is the only way we're going to get through it." So I would definitely say do it afraid. Um, One of my mantras, and I say it all the time, is like, what's the worst that can happen? I think a lot of times, especially people that have trauma, complex trauma, we have learned to live a life on the edge. And we've learned to live life like always expecting the worst to happen and always waiting for that other shoe to drop. And my healing journey has really shown me and taught me the other shoe never drops. So I've learned and I said, and it was funny because I said it on my social media yesterday. I said, I've survived 100% of the worst days of my life. And now it is time to thrive through 100% of the best days in my life. Right? Because when you discover that the other shoe never drops, that what's done has been done. You can't go back. You can't change it. Right? I think recognizing like, what is the worst that can happen if you take the leap of faith? You might fail. Cool. Failure is part of the process, right? Like I tell anybody, I've probably as a business owner, I've probably shifted about seven times and that is okay because as you grow and evolve and you learn, right? Like you're, you might start off one way and then a couple of months later, you're like, eh, that, that doesn't make me excited anymore. Let's go somewhere else. That's the beauty of evolution and always growing, you know? And yes. I would probably, my last thing I would probably say is um, embrace no, you know, redefine what no means. Like I tell people for me, no means next opportunity. Like if someone is telling me no, that just means that wasn't the opportunity that I was supposed to walk through. And that's cool. Like next, (laughs) you know, like that's, that's the things that I would say. Oh, that's amazing wisdom. Thank you so much. I needed to hear that too. Not (laughs) That was amazing. And I I love the the analogy of like the shoe dropping because it's it doesn't you're right. We are taken care of. We are provided for. Like as I look back in my life too, like I think about that. I'm like I've always been provided for. I've always like mm-hmm. had a something to eat like roof over my head going back to what you were saying about evidence seeing evidence in your reality like assessing those moments when you are coming to that place of like oh yeah maybe that shoe's gonna drop looking at the evidence in your life to see the opposite of that actually Mm -hmm. like how 
so much is happening for you i truly believe that we sometimes focus on things that we shouldn't be focusing on so then it becomes so much bigger in our reality we think it's that much bigger but when we focus on that gratitude Mm -hmm. that forgiveness it opens up the floodgates for us to really receive so much more so i love that thank you for those words of wisdom you're welcome yes and the last thing i want to ask you what does self-love is kind of thrown Mm. around a lot as a hashtag Mm -hmm. i feel like and sometimes i feel a little i second guess myself when i use the word self-love because it is thrown around in 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 pop culture i guess so much Mm -hmm. but i love to have everybody's just own like you know what is self-love and you know these these series are called self-embrace so it's like showing yourself the compassion and and self-love like what does that mean to you Leah what does self-love mean to you yeah so self-love for me is truly embracing the totality of who I am like Mm -hmm. the good the bad the ugly the indifferent and I'll tell you that journey has been so great because there was a time in my life where I didn't even like the woman I looked at in the mirror. And like now, you know, my daily practice is like standing in front of my mirror in all my glory. You know, I wake up to um, Mary J. Blige's Good Morning Gorgeous and I sing it to myself, you know, and that's my way of like starting my day empowered, reminding myself, girl, you got this. If nobody tells you today, you got it, you got it, you can do this. But that was, I could not have done that years ago, you know, because I just didn't like who I saw. So today, self-love is, I embrace the totality of who Leah Forney is. All of her. Flaws and all, triggers and all, you know, parts Mm -hmm. of her that she's still trying to figure out. All of it. Because what I've learned is, you can't leave out pieces of your story because all of it (laughs) makes up who you are and when you really try to dishonor one part you're really dishonoring you and so I've learned to just love all of her and Mm. continue to embrace all of her I love that oof I got chills when you're saying all that (laughs) I love love that thank you so much for that reflection of self-love and I know that is helpful for everybody. Like this whole conversation is is helpful for, for people. So thank you for everything that you're doing in your spaces and all the spaces that you're in. Thank you so much for that. So you're an amazing woman. I'm so honored to have connected with you thank and getting you. to know you and having you on this podcast. And thank you so much, Leah. It's been a blast. Thank you for having me. Hey, love. Thank you so much for tuning in to today's episode. If you adored what you heard, it would mean the world to me if you took a moment to leave a review on the platform you are listening to this episode on. By doing this, you are helping my mission to impact other women with their healing journeys. If you aren't already following me on social media, make sure to connect with me at Sarita Wellness to get your weekly dose of inspiration. I can't wait to be with you in the next episode, but in the meantime, keep being the amazing you that you are.